Hi, this is Tom Darling, your host for our new series of Classic Conversations, The Sailor's Log. This is a bonus for all you loyal followers of Conversations with Classic Boats. And you can find Sailor's Log on the same channels, the podcast sections of Apple, Spotify, Google, as well as our website, www.conversationswithclassicboats.com. And don't forget our partners, Windcheck Magazine and Scuttlebutt News. They carry us every month and we thank them. Right now, we're alternating our classic boat histories that you love in conversations with classic boats with a new and very fun classic conversations in the sailor's log. The sailor's log is very simple. We invite a friend to talk. We toss out a few questions and we see where it goes. I'm delighted today to have with the classic community, one of the business pioneers of boating. Started a movement they call J-Boats. 16,000 boats later, he also started a powerboat company, MJM. I am admittedly biased. He is a tiger like myself and a huge contributor to the buildup of Princeton sailing. He is Bob Johnstone, and he is a brand new author. His book is called Maverick Mark Marketer, Time to Get Creative, published April 23, 2023. It is a memoir of taking the helm of a boat at two, wending his way through Princeton to creating J-Boats, the leading performance brand in sailing. But before we start, here's my sailor's log microbio. First, he was a Quaker Oats ace in Latin America. He started the U.S. Youth Sailing Championships in Chicago. Remember Nat Philbrick in the Bruce Kirby episode with the laser? Hilarious. He went into boat marketing at age 41 to market Sunfish for a bowling company. He did J-Boats with Brother Rod with 50-plus designs, over 20 boats of the year. And then for an encore, he founded MJM Yachts, a leader in performance powerboats around the world. He lives in Charleston, South Carolina, with his wife, the Reverend Mary Johnstone. But we know that he secretly sneaks into Newport in the summer for his Southern New England sailing fix. And once again, we tossed out a, a set of topics for him. They were the book, Matt Marketer, Maverick, How Did It Come About? The J-Boat Story and the MJM Story. Now we know we could have done this se session for hours, maybe <clears throat> days, but we're gonna try to limit this to our usual 30 minutes. But hey, Bob, Welcome to Classic Conversations, The Sailor's Love. Thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. Now, when we did a podcast with you and Rod a couple of years ago, it was all about J-Boats. Now, the new innovation is the book. How did the book come about? What was behind that? Well, it started nine years ago. Harry Ryan told me at the uh, 2015 Palm Beach Boat Show, Bob, you've got to tell your story. He repeated it in 2016. Then I talked with Michael Levitt about doing a book in January 2017, then briefly with Roger Vaughn. But time was a problem. Mm. I was still working 14-7 running MJM Yachts. Those, that's a pretty heavy group of co-authors you have there. This time you just did it on your own, right? That was one of the... Um, the hardest things about doing a book was number one, getting started and, and then deciding whether to write it myself 
or have someone else co-author it. Then having the time without distractions to start writing. Right. Well, nobody really understands how much time it, it takes to write. It doesn't matter whether it's a podcast or a book. You know, it's a <laughs> long, it's a long, exhausting product. But there's so much in this book about consumer marketing. What uh, what drove you to put that all that part of it in? Heavens. Um, well, that was pretty much the key to the uh, the entire book was um, the the marketing. What tracks right through the uh, uh, the book is is how to come up with a new product. How do you develop develop the confidence that it's going to work and so on. I learned running Quaker subsidiaries in Colombia and Venezuela that you can't live long enough to get good at marketing off on your own. It can take three years to learn whether your new product idea is good or a bust. So after eight years, I wanted out to move to product management at Quaker in Chicago. Quaker, Procter & Gamble, and General Foods were the other powerhouse marketing firms at the time. When put in charge of coming up with recreational product strategies, I concluded there were three possible avenues, the cheapest, the mid-range, and the best performing. Best performing was the way to go because aficionados in the sport gravitated toward the best. It was also more recession-proof because if you had the best performing product, you're dealing with the people who are really dedicated to the sport, and the last thing they're going to do is give up their sailing or their sport. And also, when you get right down to it, beginners will look at top products or the best performing products, and they'll think, well, if I get one of those, I'll be able to uh, perform better. The classic case was Jean-Claude Keeley pulling up his Rossignol skis after a win. Sure, um, Stratos. Yeah. Well, now you started your boat industry with, I don't know, the Model T, the Model A. Well, I don't know what we call a sunfish. I mean, who doesn't have or know a sunfish? Well, the sunfish was, was uh, this is, goes back to the demographics. My last job at Quaker was director of market strategy and analysis corporate wide. And that meant studying demographics and market trends and then verifying product ideas with consumer research. My first job in the marine industry was VP marketing of AMF in 1975. They were maker of the sunfish. I walked into that job with a three-year plan, the center of which was a 23-foot planing sailboat to capture the 100,000 Hobie, Laser, Snark, and sunfish sailors wanting to spend more time on the water in a fast, fun-to-sail boat. It didn't exist. You had Catalina 22s and O'Day 25s, etc. So I ran consumer research in 10 cities, comparing these boats to Rod's prototype 24 and Bruce Farr's 45 South World Quarter Ton Champion. Mm -hmm. neither, of those, neither of those boats existed on the market. Sure. So, but the research came back, 50% of the respondents wanted either that AMF 7.23 footer right. or the far quarter tonner. 
So there you were. You knew what the market was. buying an extra year. So that's crazy good. Yeah. So Everett asked us, okay, okay, Bob, when you um, if now, when you say Everett, you mean this, Everett Pearson, right? If I'm going to be building this change 24, how many are we going to build? Because that's going to determine the price. Right. So I said, well, the most anybody had sold up to now was the O'Day 25, and they sold 250 of them in the first year. So that seems, considering the research and Rod's fast boat, that seems like a reasonable target. So we went with, he went he, with 250 in the first year, but it, we ended up selling 750. Well, what, 6,300 in the now worldwide for a J24? Something J24 like is just under 6,000 now, yeah. Yep. Okay. And built all over the world too, right? It's really right. a world boat. Oh, right. We we have uh, licensed builders and we have had, not all are functioning right now, but we have them in the UK, France, uh, Italy, South Africa, uh, Australia, Japan, and um, Argentina and Brazil. And, and also the West Coast of the US. Right. If I think back to spring of 2021, when we did the what I was told was the first exclusive interview with both Johnstones on at the same time. I'm not sure I really believe that, but I remember that there was a question of how one worked with one's family, you know, in a boat, in a business like this and what the challenges were of, of doing that, of working with your brother. And then subsequently working with a lot of Johnstones, as I recall, it was kind of a family business. It was. The good part about it was, was we were all accomplished sailors and sailboat racers. So there was general agreement on what would be a good boat to create next. Now to have the third generation involved in both J-boats and MJM yachts is an in indescribable joy. But it would be disingenuous for me to say that it was always smooth sailing. We had some of the work-at-home COVID program issues since J-Boats was being run from three separate locations. Rod and his home in Stonington on design. Sure. Pearson in Warren, Rhode Island, building the boat and doing the engineering. And me with two to three others in Newport running the business and doing the marketing. Right. It, it, it's hard sometimes for Rod, for instance, to share in the, the camaraderie of success and so on and so forth that we had uh, going on in Newport. Right. Well, I mean, you know, I come from the Pearson family, the, the Rumman Pearson family. We, <laughs> yeah, right. we, we fear J-boats tremendously. We have the great story in the uh, two, two years ago about how I encountered the J-24 for the first time, if you remember, when I was sailing a Pearson 28. But uh, we won't repeat that one, but it's still still raw in my my brother and my mind but <laughs> but what um you know when you've gone by, by the j24 what what has been your favorite j boat your personally personal favorite well that's a tough question it, it's basically well, you can have more which, than one i mean which which of the which of the 50 is my favorite yeah my, okay. my, well, my, my standard my standard answer used to be the one i'm sailing now that's right. why it exists right um, as for the impact on the sport, I'd have to say the J-105 in 1991. Right. Um, it was the first boat design over 20 feet in the world with a retractable bowsprit and asymmetric spinnaker. 
Now there's hardly a new design uh, without it. It caused the end of the parachute spinnaker. For beauty, I think the J100. Mm -hmm. um, and for couples cruising, the uh, J42, which had the stability of a, with a carbon rig and a low CG keel. It had the stability of a 50 footer, but could was a wonderful boat, handled easily like a 35 footer for, for couples cruising, it was, it was the perfect boat. And for all around sa family sailing, I think the my favorite is the International J111. It was easy to sail, you know, with a small jib and asymmetric spinnaker and decent accommodations down below um, and a nice cockpit, easy boat to like. And for family, for a family sailing, uh, whether it's racing, Mary and I used to go out and race that boat on, on Wednesday nights with just the two of us. Um, or you can put, you know, several couples on it. I love the wheel on a J111. It gives you, makes you feel like you're driving a TP52. Well, the other thing about a wheel, we offered both the wheel and a tiller in a J105. The great thing about a wheel is you can stand up going downwind. Mm -hmm. um, and the boom is in front, the end of the boom is in front of you. So you don't have to worry about ducking the boom when you're jiving and so on and so forth. So it's just a lot more safer and also more, uh, I don't know, you feel more in control. Now, there's been a tremendous, obviously, generational change from the days of the baby boomers who really drove the growth of, of boating. Now, this millennial group, it, if you did, if you thought you did some research today, what do you think? You'd, how, how would that adapt to your way of thinking now? Well, you know, uh, all I can say is um, you're talking about factors in the market uh, or you're talking about the millennial all the way to the you millennial. Know, the factors in the market that in, in general that you know, make you think about designing boats differently or, you know, what what they're, what the needs of the customer are. Uh, you know, people always talk about the millennials as being different in terms of their, but millennials mean some people up to 40 years old, most of which in my era would have owned a J24, you know, in their 20s or early 30s. Now, what, what boat would appeals to that group now, that millennial group, What's changed, and I wonder how, how that affects how one looks at it. Hard to say, but I think one of the um, one of the factors has been the pandemic, the impact of the pandemic, which required social distancing and um, staying out of crowds and so on, was a tremendous boost to boating. Yeah, and most most of the boat manufacturers were backlogged by a year or more. Um, because people were taking, figuring, okay, what is safe is a, is being a family unit out sailing or powerboating. So I think what happened there is uh, a lot of people got exposed to the sport, um, and a lot of kids got dragged into it, and so on that might not have otherwise. Certainly, one of the one of the um, trends. Day, day boating, and one of the reasons they came out, or J-Boats has come out with their, their recent um, deluxe cockpit day boats. Yeah. Um, is, so like the, like the 99, what is it, the 9, the J-9? Right. Yeah, right. 
Yeah, that, that's interesting. I mean, I just think in my own apartment building of two families who went and bought used boats so that they could go and have get away from their apartment. They docked them in City Island and they lived on them, and and they yeah. worked and they worked from them. Now, you know, we would think that that was a pretty bohemian lifestyle, but this was not a bohemian family. These were not bohemian families, but so certainly a big difference. Let's just switch gears for a second. I went I went to the Museum of Yachting. I walk in. You know, I'm expected to be wowed. I walk in and I see a boat that I have seen sailing chopped in half. Ragtime. <laughs> and I say to myself, okay, how did this come about? Well, that was a, that was a fun project. I, I think one of the exhibit designers came up with a thought of a, a boat with a cutaway showing the inside and so on and so forth would be a, a unique exhibit there. Yeah. And son Stewart pulled it off finding a, um, Finding a used J24 for George Borges to cut up and refinish. Okay, so it wasn't ragtime. They, they painted ragtime. No, on that's that. not. We we no. It was. It wasn't the original. In fact, the original ragtime was totally cut up in okay. pieces because Everett used it as the plug for the first okay. first mold. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we All just right. we just put Rod's colors on it, his name, and US right. one. Okay. Well, that makes sense. It makes sense. Uh, when I was there, they had a little child. The parents looked away from the little child. Suddenly, the little child was in crawling into the into the boat. So it just shows you the power of boats to inspire small children. But that's great. The one thing we missed out on that um, exhibit was putting in the cooler step that we used to have on the J24. We just, right. It was a piece, a regular uh, igloo cooler with a piece of teak on a top. Sure. I remember it. So we're missing that and the six pack of beer in, in, in there. That would make it totally legit. Okay, that would be completely legit. Good. <laughs> good, good. The exhibit would be complete. I was very impressed. So I'm scratching my head. Um, okay, let's uh, let's switch gears to MJM, which is a subject I know very little about. And um, you know, how did MJM come about? You know, how did it, how did it evolve? How, what is it? What is it today? Well, it's, I guess it's demographics again. I was 68 years old. Mary and I were spending more time cruising and using our Dyer 29 than uh, our 40-foot J120. Okay. So sailing was becoming me racing with the guys, leaving Mary to spectate. Mm -hmm. I'd always enjoyed sailing and, and cruising with Mary. And the Dyer, Dyer wasn't an ideal cruising boat. It was a little small and wasn't fast enough to run ahead of waves and it rolled. And, sure. um, so I decided, well, if we're going to spend more time in a, in a, in a powerboat, why not do the same thing we did with sailboats? Come up with, define what our ideal boat is and then see if it exists. Well, there are Hinkley's, which were pretty boats, but not very functional. There are lobster yachts that were functional, but slow. Um, so we concluded that our our ideal boat didn't exist, so we'd have to create it. So what we did is we came up with like about 25 things that we'd like for our new powerboat and then got a designer to draw it and then uh, make sure it floated on its lines. Right. Now, you use outboards quite a bit, don't you, with your boats? Well, we started out with a single diesel. 
Okay. Um, and eventually um, went through, we got up to a 50, 50Z that had triple diesels and the boat would go 50 miles an hour. It's interesting. I used the same strategy or I wanted to have the same performance uh, to be the leading performance brand. Right. Um, and so what's performance in power boats? You can make a barn door go 50 miles an hour by tacking six, six outboards on it. Power boat design is not particularly sophisticated. With a sailboat, you have a finite energy source, the wind, and you really have to be good in design to create a better sailboat um, in terms of shape and rig and sail design and so on and so mm -hmm. forth. Power boats, we decided we're going to define performance on the basis of the amount of speed you can get out of X horsepower at 25 knots. Um, and that meant picking up the technology of a fast sailboat, which was carbon, advanced composites, actually. Right. Nobody right. in the powerboat business was making a production composite, um, epoxy composite boat. So and, we're talking like a, the equivalent of a J130 or a J145, that type of thing? J125 or J145, yeah. Yeah, that, that type of construction. Right, right. right exactly. So... That led me to Mark Lindsay, who'd been making uh, world championship and Olympic winning and America's Cup boats. In fact, we we interviewed his ex-wife, Sally, who is now married to Stan Honey in the, in the, in the latest. Right. So did the boats come out per, per foot lighter than other boats? Or what, what, what was the difference in the overall specifications? Well, yeah, sure. I mean, um, the original... 34Z came out at around um, 11,000 pounds. Okay. And there were some sport fish in 34 foot sizes that were twice that. Right. So right. It, our, our, our opening line, our opening pitch was twice the fun, half the fuel. And we achieved okay. it. We were burning half the fuel at 25 knots of our competition. Well, speaking of new boats, you and I have had, through you, a very interesting experience with a very different type of boat, quite a bit smaller. Let's take a couple of minutes before we do our wrap-up for you to tell the story of how you got involved with model boats or radio-controlled boats, whatever you like to call it. Well, it was March 2020, and you know what that was like. Everything was shutting down. and. Um, we had a nice pond here at uh, Bishop Gadsden, which is a residential um, community here, senior community that we're in right now. A nice pond, about 150 by 200. And there were about 25 or 30 of the um, members who had sailed. So I thought this is a great opportunity to um, see if I can take my one design fleet building experience <laughs> and, and yeah. translate it to sailing one design DF-95s on this pond. And um, it worked. We, we ended up, we have a fleet of 23 boats on this pond. And then um, 
one of the problems with the rules of sailing. Uh, I, I originally got a lot of resistance because people said, well, I tried that, but, you know, and I, I grew up sailing and racing and, and I, I was excited about it. I went down there, but it's bumper cars, for God's sake. It's ridiculous. I'm not going to do that again. The other group said, would say, well, I just sailed once or twice and haven't raced and so on, but I thought I'd give it a try. And I, I went down there and um, and people are screaming at me, protests all the time. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's just no fun. It was meant to be fun. And this was, yeah. this was super sure. serious. Sure. So anyway, that caused me to uh, reevaluate the rules of sailing. Sailing rules came about because in the late 1800s, um, people with these big yachts, they had to establish responsibility in case of collisions and so on. The rules are um, pretty pretty clear, and uh, and it's with these boats though they have rubber bows, and the Mister Magoo's that are sailing them, you know, they're sitting in a, in a soccer mom chair, and mm -hmm. the boat's 150 feet away. Um, it's pretty hard for them to see what overlaps are, or even whether they're going around the mark. Sure. Um, so we said, okay, it's okay to hit hit. It's okay to hit marks other than the start and finish line mark. And it's okay to hit each other, run into each other, as long as you don't uh, cause the other boat to lose position in the race. If they lose position in the race, you've got to do a 360 circle. Which is easy own, on those boats. Yeah. On, on your own, without somebody prompting you to do so. Right. Or waiting for somebody to prompt you to do so. The problem, as I saw it, with the rules of sailing was, in the opening paragraph, it says, people who sail under these rules uh, commit to enforce them. Um, and then the second phrase is, um, if you're exhibiting, you're supposed to exhibit sportsmanship by doing your circles if you make a foul. Yep. We took out that first phrase. Yep. We don't want any policemen out there. Um, it changed every it changed everything. I mean, even when we you sponsored uh, Princeton to acquire the fleet that they had, it was an adjustment for them to, to, to go to those rules because they're so used to not touching another boat. But it did. Well, what, did. What's in it? Yeah, it makes everybody and going around a mark now with a big clump of boats. Um, yeah, there's a lot of good natured whining, but there's but more laughter. And yes. Of yeah. Protest yeah. It's it's a much more it's a much more joyful experience. I, I would right. exactly. And and so Brad Reed up at Sail Newport picked up on it, and I helped them get, helped them get started with twenty boats back in June twenty twenty. Yeah. And they're now up to eighty five boats. Yeah. And wow. they're sailing. And they they get about twenty boats out on the line mm. every every Tuesday and Thursday. Uh, Year round, so it's, wow. it's that's great. You know, the great thing about it is, it's totally inclusive. You can be, you, you may not be mobile, whatever your age, your whether your weight, um, yep. you know, age, mobility, weight. Um, no, that's a great. It's a great equalizer. It's great. The boats are under six hundred bucks. Yeah, and um, yeah. put them together yourself. 
I'm convinced. I would ever been able to put them up, up together without your um, in Nantucket without your instruction. We were sitting there reading them furiously trying to do that. But it's great. It's great to be the godfather of, of little boats. I think that's great. We got about three or four more minutes. I want to just do something that we do with everybody, which is to ask the three questions. The three questions are, what's your favorite boat? What's your favorite place to sail? And who should we have next on the show? Well, you kind of asked me about my favorite sailboat. Right. Um, yeah. And I would say, so I'll go over to powerboats now and say yeah. that I think it's been the MJM-43Z with triple 400 Merc Verados. Got it. Mary and I have cruised south in the winter and new, and in New England in summer for the past five years. That, right. I mean, that's, that's okay. been a wonderful boat for two people. Now, what about your favorite place to go? Boating, not just sailing, since you're I doing both places. And one of the, the reasons I picked both these places is because the crazy, it's, it's almost like sailing a DF-95s in a pond with buildings all around. You never know when the next puff is coming from. Mm-hmm. So there's always an opportunity to, to play an angle and win the race, no matter where you are amongst the other boats. So my two favorite sailing venues, I should say racing venues. That's fine. The time between Charleston Harbor, with all its crazy currents, and racing around the many islands in down East Maine. So you have a similar situation. There, there are just a, a lot of different situations. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Factors you've got you've got to take into consideration. Well, that's quite a that's quite a contrast. That's great. Now, who who should we have on the on the show next? Well, I thought of several people. Um, Bill Martin would be good. He is he is um, seen it all. Okay, he's been racing with his wife on a boat in the Detroit area. He's got a he's got a Santa Cruz seventy. He was the he was the chairman of the U.S. Olympic Committee. Okay. He also was head of U.S. Sailing. Well, that's a good one. Okay. I, John Coleus is entertaining, too. He, okay. He, he okay. can tell you a lot of good stories. All right. That's a good one. He's a good storyteller. Yep. And Betsy Allison. Betsy's a good one. Okay. So I got a choice of three from you. Three there. And, of course, Gary Jobson's always a good. Uh, good Gary one. talks too much. Yeah. I can never, <laughs> never get a word in edgewise. <laughs> Gary's been a great supporter of me and a, a great fan and uh, of the podcast and have been very yeah. helpful to me. But that's great. I have three to pick from now. That's great. So let's just give you one final plug here for the book. It's called Maverick Marketer. Time to get creative. Re- really? get, it, get it for there it is. Hot off the press. Get it from Amazon. Amazon and uh, Barnes and Noble and Barnes and Noble, yeah, okay. Dot, dot Broadly distributed. That's great, Bob. Hopefully, we'll see you on the water this El Nino summer in your MJM. And thanks, as always, to our partners, Windcheck Media and Team One Newport, Windcheck Magazine, covering. Sailing, boating, from New York to the Cape. Their website has the maverick of marketing story. And of course, it's high season on Thames Street at Team One Newport. Mad Martha has all the gear and the swag 
left from the 11th hour racing team's stunning victory in the ocean race. Check out the t-shirts with that so cool logo. The U.S. entry in the ocean race it was Rhode Island-centric. Charlie and his crew put on a show. Given our luck with Boston teams, we were always afraid to say a word. No jinxing. But they came through in the end. Check the Conversations website and your podcast channel for the latest Conversations episodes. There's even more to choose from. Give us your best ideas on new individuals for the Sailor's Log Conversations. And Conversations with Classic Boats rolls through Season 4. Subscribe and give us a rating. Five stars, please. See us on the Spectrum Cable Streaming Service if you're in the Northeast. They have a great podcast channel, and there we are next to the coolest podcasts like Smartless and the New York Times Daily. These are the big boys. But most important, get out on the water. Take care of yourself and someone else if you can. This episode was written and recorded by Tom Darling. Production by Griffin Bengroff. We thank Jason Mraz, as always, for his input. Fair sailing, Tom Darling.